Welcome to Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno. How many lives are you living at the same time? Can parasites appear as animals? Is there a Bigfoot population running around in the Hudson River Valley north of New York City? Hello and welcome to the 779th edition of Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno here on WOON, 1240 AM and 99.3 FM. This is our 11th year on the air. I am Ben, and those extreme questions came from my co-host, partner in the paranormal, and pater, Paul. And uh, today we uh, take the hour ourselves to uh, talk about the most extreme paranormal cases we've run into, uh, something we haven't really done since... 2013, specifically yeah. September 16th, uh, if you want to check that out, that's the September 16th, 2013 show, um, and feel free to share your own stories, you can call us at 401-766-1240 from anywhere, or you can email paulbehindtheparanormal.com, or you can message us on uh, Facebook as well, and uh, we do have quite a bit going on in the show today, so I guess we should probably uh, jump right into it. Yes, uh, so what do we mean by extreme paranormal. To most people, uh, any paranormal experience is pretty extreme if they're not used to it. But we're talking about experiences that go way beyond that, reaching toward the unheard of. And we've run into plenty of such cases. Uh, let's begin with a report that came in... Oh, oh I'm sorry, that's your line. <laughs> well, came in only yesterday. So let us begin with said report. Uh, this is... Um, from uh, Jamie, who might actually call in, uh, the report. Uh, do I say his last name or no? Well, he's pretty well known. Okay, yeah, so Jamie Harris. Yeah, he's from uh, Bangor, Maine, I believe. Yeah, I'm so used to keeping anonymity. That is, that it, right, right. Like, oh, well, you know, it's, it's, it's this guy. So the report comes from Jamie Harris, an investigator uh, we have corresponded with from uh, time to time. And uh, he wrote to us, I have someone claiming uh, to experience trouble with a dark or demonic energy that appears as a giant toad or frog. Does this sound familiar? And if so, uh, can you help me identify it? So it is actually kind of interesting that there, that um, in in uh, Japanese and Chinese folklore, there are uh, demons that sort of come in the form of a toad. There is one that I'm thinking of, which is called. Uh, I was I was doing research on this this week because when when I saw this, I just immediately thought, oh yeah, toad demons, um, because uh, frogs are usually considered good luck, and toads are usually considered demons. In, in Japan, at least. Um, so there's this one demon that takes the form of a toad, kind of, that lives in water, and it essentially, there's like a, this idea of this mystical organ that kind of existed in humans, and that this creature stole that mystical uh, organ. It also liked to cause trouble and mischief and stuff, but occasionally it would do nice things. It was really ambiguous, but nine times out of ten, it would, you know, drag you under the water and stuff and steal this very specific organ. So, I mean, it's it's appeared throughout folklore, if, if that is what it is. Then, you know, it's it's not unprecedented, but I'm pretty sure it hasn't been talked about in a really long time, at least not in the West. No, no. Well, this case, uh, Jamie says, is in Arkansas. Um, so, and I'm thinking back to the first time I really ran into something like this um, myself was in 1975 during the uh, Bristol, Connecticut poltergeist case. And that was the first case that I ran into, where, where I ran into a situation that the, the poltergeist seemed to be affecting an entire neighborhood. And up until that time, and, and very often up, up until the present day, many uh, people assume that you know a haunted house, quote unquote, is just the haunted house. Uh, they don't think to look 
even outside in the yard uh, or around the property or um, at neighboring homes. And if you do that, I found early on, I just sort of did it one day on a hunt back in the, in the 70s, that uh, you'd find, if you can talk to the neighbors, that they're having problems too. And one of the most common things in, in negative, you know, quote-unquote demonic cases, uh, negative cases, we would call them parasitical, is large, dark figures, shadowy figures that sometimes look like animals. In the Bridgeport, not the Bridgeport, the, the Bristol poltergeist case of 75, three neighbors told me that they had uh, they heard growling uh, they heard they saw black shapes at their windows and under furniture with red eyes looking in almost like the mothman case of the 1960s you know uh, uh, 10 years before this or less than 10 years before that so in this case as i say my first encounter with one of these was a huge black shape moving across a field in broad daylight, and it did not look like a human. Uh, it looked like an animal. And, I, and if, if you, if I think back on it, I mean, one, one could have construed it as some sort of toad or frog-like shape. Okay, it didn't necessarily move like it just moved very smoothly. It didn't hop or anything. But I think that um, we may be dealing with a form of pareidolia on steroids here, I and mean, it's possible that these things can manifest as animals. There have been very, very clear cases in the paranormal history, if you will, where there have been, uh, well, for example, the black dog phenomenon, uh, particularly in, in uh, the British Isles. Or the uh, beginning of the, the whole Bell Witch thing. Sure. Oh, that was a black dog. That was in Tennessee. So the, the black dog with the red eyes or without the red eyes, I mean, it's, they do seem to appear. It's always pretty ubiquitous. It does seem to be, yes. Uh, I've heard, we've heard, well, in Devon, we have family in, in Devon in southwestern England, and, and I've heard stories from some of them, uh, not firsthand, but people who, uh, whom they know, who have uh, had encounters with, with these, uh, animals that, uh, could be parasitical. Uh, and in cases that are definitely parasitical, uh, sometimes poltergeist cases, things of this kind, you can have animal-like manifestations, whether it be uh, auditory in the sense of like growling or something, uh, the form of um, animal uh, apparitions of different kinds, and uh, whether it's actually the animal is another question. Now, now, we often say that we bring to paranormal experiences things that kind of make them what they are. In other words... If you uh, and you said it once uh, on, on in a in a, a film production, Ben, that uh, and I thought it was the only intelligent thing they left in there, mm. the, the conjuring featurette. That uh, if you go in expecting to see something spooky, you're going to see something spooky. Um, I'm thinking of my own Bigfoot experience in 2016. I had a very peaceful um, one that I thought was a privilege, and a little girl. Uh, not not more than an eighth of a mile away, saw the same or, or, or a similar creature and uh, was utterly terrified. If you bring uh, strength and a positive positive uh, attitude toward, uh, if you keep that in your life in general, I don't think your paranormal events are going to be so scary. So I don't know. I don't know the person who is experiencing this um, frog-like apparition. I don't know anything about the case because I say we only heard about it yesterday. But just um, just from our own experience, that's essentially what we would say. As it, it 
it could be just a shape that we interpret as so a pareidolia on steroids mm. uh, as as a toad or frog you know because our minds will take things and make them into something we can understand whether it be sounds or apparitions so indeed that's about all we can say at this point if we can find out more about this case we'll keep you you posted on it okay and that's all i have to say about that okay uh, i'm thinking too we have um uh, a report from the Hudson Valley uh, in New York State, a beautiful, beautiful area. We have spoken there uh, from a Gail Beatty, who I'm sure will not mind us mentioning her last name because she is uh, uh, with the uh, the Bigfoot Research Group out there. Uh, they do a fine job, and uh, there are um, there seem to be uh, a lot of strange things going on in the Hudson Valley. We we sort of consider it a western extension of our Litchfield, Connecticut triangle because the same things are happening. There have been uh, tremendous numbers of UFO sightings. Uh, now there seem to be more Bigfoot sightings going on. And what, the question arises, you've got Bigfoot sightings in an area not too far north of New York City. And uh, what is Bigfoot doing in a, a, uh, excuse me, a non-wilderness area, as it were? It is rural or semi-rural, much of the Hudson Valley. Uh, there are some cities, uh, such as Poughkeepsie and Troy. Uh, and, but when, where does Bigfoot go? And come from or go to when these things occur and this gets into the whole idea ben of our what we're saying in the pennsylvania case uh of a bigfoot being a multiversal creature sort of coming and going or uh, the, the natives often refer to a bigfoot and others as a sh- as shape shifters sort mm. of thing so any comments on that <laughs> oh actually sorry i got distracted by the thought of um that really terrible movie uh, what was it? The Legend of Boggy Creek. Oh, good grief! Yeah, the the where that that stupid theme song. This is I where saw the that river in the drive-in theater in the I think it was the the early 1970s with our friend uh, Joseph Latender, who's been on the show. He's a, uh, a teacher in Chicago who uh, served as a priest and and was uh, uh, very interested in the paranormal and assisted me at some of my earliest cases, including that Bristol, uh, Connecticut poltergeist case. So. Oh yes, uh, yeah. So, uh, but he he and I went to see that in the theater, and we we sort of laughed all the way through it. Yeah, it's pretty bad. Yeah, but. well, it, it's it's so bad everyone should see it. But it's still around, and I think you know, they were trying to create a legend. It was based on a real real events in Falk, Arkansas, that had occurred. And as a matter of fact, uh, I I have um, Smoky Crabtree, one of the characters, mm-hmm. sent me his book. And uh, it's um, you know it's written it's it's, it's unpolished let's say, but uh, it, it really conveys the the atmosphere of what was going on down there at the time. And it's a Falk is is not a big is this name really Smoky Crabtree? Well, it's his nickname. Obviously. Uh, yeah, I, I figured. Yeah. yeah. Well, they even had songs in the film about um, Hey Travis Crabtree. I guess Travis was his brother or something or his son. And anyway, it was quite interesting. So. Um, we have uh, we have a caller here, and uh, I think we're going to be talking about um, uh, the uh, flashing nexus, something that uh, there's been a lot of interest in. It's, it's a term that we kind of invented, but we'll get to that after um, we uh, deal with our caller here. But um, uh, I wanted to give some examples of that really bizarre phenomenon. <coughs> so, all right. So, uh, who do we have with us today? You're on WOON. This is Rick from San Francisco. Oh, Rick from San Francisco. How are you today? Uh, good. Um, I'm calling in uh, today. I just I had an experience in December I wanted to share. I get get an idea of what people think. 
before uh, you before you say that, Rick, uh, we have on uh, the talking points page uh, photographs because we communicated earlier. Uh, Rick took a, a fascinating photo of uh, a, a what was generally considered to be a, a UFO. Uh, over the San Francisco Bay Area in December, and we have that on our Talking Points page at BehindTheParanormal.com uh, for this show. So uh, check that out. So go ahead, Rick. Tell us what happened. Okay. Um, uh, so I'm in the Bay Area of San Francisco in the East Bay, and I was up by the Mission Peak area, which is uh, sort of the mountains of the area. And uh, I was uh, up pretty high in the mountain. I was at my son's uh, school, and I looked out over the bay, and there was a number of us there, and all of a sudden we saw this object pierce the atmosphere. And, uh, you know, it's a pretty sciencey community, so we have an open mind to what's going on in terms of, you know, it's a meteor, a bolide, or something like that. And we had a unique angle because of where we were, and we saw it uh, trail down through the sky. It, it, from our direction, it didn't appear to be a, a, a straight trajectory down. And then all of a sudden it exploded when it got... Uh, probably, uh, I don't know, several tens of miles above above um, the Bay Area, and um, and and to to our kind of uh, our curiosity, everybody started looking on the news and trying to find out what it was. And um, there would be a report much later that a bolide or meteor had entered the atmosphere. But the, the problem was, we all agreed that the trajectory from our angle was kind of odd. Um, also, there's um, you know, we're the tech center of uh, actually the United States and the world. Uh, we've got Livermore Labs out here. And um, just based on past experiences where I, I have not uh, really taken much note of it, but I do go to the uh, mountains around here a lot. If you look out over this area, there's a lot of air traffic. NASA's here. Um, you can clearly recognize what are airplanes and uh, what is flying at night and so forth, based on the lights and configuration and how they fly. Um, but we all talked about how we've seen lights in the, fly, in the sky that just fly kind of erratically. And this is past experience. It's not this experience. So from December 19th, um, I started thinking, like, okay, maybe there's something more going on here. Uh, that, you know, we, we have, uh, like I said, a lot of tech. There's uh, a lot of uh, industrial espionage happens here, the, the plans for our uh, aircraft carrier was stolen out of Livermore Lab. You can see that now in China. They they built the aircraft carrier. Mm -hmm. um, so there's a lot of things that go on around here, a lot of secrets. And um, when I combine that, what, I, what I've seen in the past with lights and then what I witnessed on December 19th, I don't, I don't really think it was a bow light. I, I have this feeling it was something different. And okay. I wanted to get the people's thought on that. Well, we had, well, people can look at the photo. It is very odd. Uh, did you hear any sort of hissing sound or any sound at all from this object? Well, it was really, I mean, really high up. So I, yeah. I didn't hear really anything. I could, there was no way to. Well, because if it's within 30 miles, uh, <clears throat> the rule of thumb for meteors is that you will hear generally, you know, provided there isn't any other interference, uh, that sort of a sound, you know. Uh, Looking at the photo, uh, I'm thinking of reports of other witnesses, and you were with other parents at the school, right, who were seeing this at the same time? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. We've heard that uh, other people reported <clears throat> the same problems with the trajectory, that it zigzagged, stopped at one point, 
and kept and then exploded, as you said. And this is reminiscent of the Kecksburg, Pennsylvania UFO incident of 1965, where a few, the few people who saw the thing uh, breaching the atmosphere reported the same sort of behavior. So, uh, did you notice uh, eccentric behavior of that kind? Here's what I here's what I could see um, from our our angle, and I think we had a unique angle because where we were, most of the populations in the valley looking up from probably the airport area. What we witnessed was it pierced the atmosphere and it kind of changed direction as it was falling. Um, if you're looking at it straight on, it would move forward and back. If you looked at that same trajectory from, say, the airport, which is in a completely different direction, it may look like a straight trajectory, but it didn't look that way to us. And then when it did finally explode suddenly, there was no noise through the whole thing, and I'm not surprised over that. Yeah. But um, when it did explode, it wasn't your typical explosion. It kind of, um, it, it was, I, I don't know how to explain it. You can kind of see it in the photograph. It kind of, ex, it just kind of mushroomed out, not mushroomed out, but just expanded out. And my, my point was this. They were reporting that this uh, bolide was over the ocean. But um, from all of our, uh, from, from the people that were reported in Santa Cruz and the people that were here, it didn't look like it was over the ocean, because if it was in Santa Cruz and you're looking at it over the ocean, uh, you wouldn't be looking at it to the north as much. You'd be looking at it to the northwest, and everybody reported that it was north, and we were looking at it from the east high up. So I, I do think it was a lot closer or even over the peninsula. Okay. Well, I guess that's about all we can say. Uh, as I say, the, the picture is on our website. It's on our Facebook page as well. And thank you for sending it, and thank you for calling in. Oh, you're welcome. Thank you. Okay. All right. Uh, before we get to the uh, flashing nexus, if anybody else has any information on on that uh, sighting, anybody else, any of our California listeners, uh, feel free to, to contact us about that. Uh, we have our faithful listener, Peter Shelley. Uh, oh, I'm not supposed to give you I'm sorry. Peter. <laughs> Peter Whoever in Columbia, South America. And uh, Peter uh, asks several questions about EVPs, and Ben has a special interest in that because ah, of the yes. sound background. Evaporation. Um, so, Peter writes to us. Uh, well, it's three questions, so we'll just take them one at a time. Um, are you aware of any EVPs captured during a UFO sighting? If so, what was recorded? You know, I asked around about that. I'm not aware of any. Uh, usually, when people are having UFO sightings, they're very... Uh, unexpected. Very quick, right? Very quick yeah. and unexpected. Uh, all paranormal events that I've experienced uh, have been very unexpected, you know. Uh, and so I suppose most people are not prepared to record anything at the time, but it is an awfully good question. If you're having a sighting, uh, so such as uh, Rick just reported from California, where the object is very high up, uh, and even if it's headed toward you, I mean, if you had a, a, a device running to record the audio, w what would you pick up? I mean, I suppose you could. It's a really intriguing question, but I'm not aware of anybody who has reported such things. As a matter of fact, I, I contacted a few of our uh, the headliners uh, who are our colleagues in that field, and um, I, I did not hear back yet from, except from one who did not know of any cases of that kind. Uh, the question is, if you did get something weird on an audio, um, would it be related to the to the sighting or to something else? <laughs> you just you just hear a voice saying, "Wow, look at that!" That's 
<laughs> well, all right. Well, maybe. But uh, yeah, what, no, what are your feelings on EVPs anyway? And I think uh, some of his uh, eh, other questions have to do with that. Eh, I, I feel – my general feelings are I don't really – I, I should say, we should say electronic voice phenomena. That's what yeah. EVP stands for. So uh, my general feelings are I don't I don't really have them. Um, I – I don't I don't discredit them because sometimes they're they're legit um, and there are times where they just aren't. I think that there's a lot of pareidolia that goes into it or an audiodolia if you will. <laughs> yeah. Um where your brain kind of hears what it wants to hear. I remember there was a really there was a there was a, a commentary I was watching like uh, a few a few months ago and um this guy was talking about EVPs, and he was working with this guy who was a skeptic, and he was like, why would somebody – he was like, let's say this person's a dead person, right? Why would – you know, they, they're they sitting around, and they want to say, you know what? I'm going to go down to Earth, and I have a very important message. <laughs> and they go up to the microphone, and they say, <clears throat> yeah, and that's it. Yeah. And I was like, you know, that's actually kind of a really good point. <laughs> that it's, you know, yeah, some, I mean, I thought, you know, the idea that this is all about dead people, I I, I don't think that. I, I don't think that either, you know. I think I – mean, it's, it's a it's a – Logical conclusion from our, our ridiculously narrow paradigm that there are spirits and all of dead people and and there. But, but how do you talk without vocal cords? The very notion of being dead is you don't have a body anymore. I mean, these are all logical inconsistencies that I've seen in this story. I think that, that uh, yeah, you can have people who have died here who are alive in other parallel worlds. I think that's more or less how it goes. Well, I mean, really, the, o- the only thing that, that they would need, they wouldn't need vocal cords per se. They would just need some sort of mechanism to disturb air molecules. Mm. So, I mean, you know, it's, it's, not, it's not impossible no, no I don't. Impossible. I don't. I don't think. I don't. I don't think it's impossible. I. I think it's. I think it's rarer than we give give it credit for. Mm-hmm. I think. I think that um, one of the major issues is people hearing what they want to hear. I think that that's that. You know, sometimes it's just maybe it could be a breeze. Maybe it is actually like a like a, a legit whisper, which would you know explain why it's not boisterous. You don't hear a voice clearly enunciating because you know it's just. Air being disturbed not by vocal cords but perhaps by electromagnetic, you know, activity. Perhaps, yeah. So I mean, you know, I, that's probably why it comes across as whispering into a microphone mm. or or whatever because it is a physical process. I mean, we've mm. already established that any sort of paranormal activity is a physical thing in and of itself mm-hmm. because it it's it's it exists in you know multiple dimensions rather than just the third dimension. You know, it it, it deals with with other other aspects of you know the physical and physical reality so i mean you know we we know that i think i think that the the rarity of it is is um the rarity of it and the mechanism are the two things that i'm most concerned about because you know there's some stuff there are things that i've heard and shane kind of convinced me of this hmm. that you know it's it it can be you shane know Searway, yeah talking. shane yeah. Searway, he yeah. definitely can he pretty much convinced me he's like you know some of the stuff's real because I, I trust him you know I know you trust him. Oh yeah. So yeah. so I mean, Worked for twenty years. Yeah, exactly. So I mean, I I trust his word. You know, if he if he thinks something's legit, I'll say, you know what, I'll give it a shot. Yeah. And I did, and I was like, you know what, maybe there is something to this, which made me think more about it and thinking, okay, so how would this be possible? So really, the the only logical thing would be something, you know, uh, whether it's electromagnetics or maybe even you know something to do with plate tectonics or just kind of a stretch or mm-hmm. some sort of geology or groundwater or something like that that would dis- somehow be able to create some sort of electrostatic discharge to disturb the air molecules to maybe breach that membrane ever so slightly that we can hear that. 
Yeah, it could be. Um, um, by the way, I'd just like to mention, uh, Shane is not here today, and this is not really an open line shit. Well, it is. I mean, people can call in. But uh, Shane is at home in New Hampshire celebrating uh, his little boy Chayton's uh, birthday. So happy birthday to Chayton. I think it's the Indeed. first time we ever did a happy birthday call out on this show in 11 years. But uh, No, I, I think we did that when we first started. Oh, perhaps. I don't, well, whatever. We just, uh, we, we should, that's why it, it was a while ago, but I vaguely remember it. But uh, our famous open line shows with Shane, which are very, very popular, uh, March 10th and 17th, we're going to do back-to-back shows. We have so much material, and Shane will be with us then. So, uh, again, happy birthday to Shane. Oh. So, I'm sorry. Go ahead, Ben. Um, oh, well, we're actually coming up to our break. Oh, so. we are. Okay. So, uh, we'll resume uh, this conversation. I have a few more things about EVPs, and so does Peter, mm. uh, that he wrote in. And we'll be right uh, right back. You're listening to Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno on WON 1240 in New England's beautiful Blackstone River Valley and 99.3 FM, I should say. And we'll be right back. Stick with us. Get down to brass tacks at home with me, Bob Vila, and my tip of the day every day right here. Bob Vila's Home Improvement Tip of the Day can only be heard on ON AM and FM every weekday at 6.50 in the morning. Bob Vila's Home Improvement Tip of the Day is brought to you by Cumberland Kitchen and Bath Design Center. Bob Vila's Home Improvement Tip of the Day on ON Radio. Hi, this is Don Brunell inviting you to join us on the Midday Show from noon to 2 every Tuesday, Wednesday, and Friday with the Super Quiz, great oldies, and interesting guests. That's Midday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and Friday from noon to 2. Okay, welcome back to Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno here on WON 1240 AM and 99.3 FM in the beautiful Blackstone River Valley of New England. And we are taking the hour ourselves today, which we haven't done since 2013, to talk about extreme paranormal cases. And we've had a lot of interest. And uh, Richard uh, Rick from San Francisco called in with his uh, UFO sighting and photo, which is uh, on our uh, website, BehindTheParanormal.com, on the Talking Points page for this show. And uh, I'd like to finish uh, up uh, Peter's questions. Peter from South America wrote in some questions about electronic voice phenomena, otherwise known as EVP. So what's uh, what haven't we covered yet there, Ben? Uh, so there's actually, uh, the next question is actually rather interesting, which is, um, what is an example of an interesting EVP which gives us clues to the world the, en- the entity is in? Well, th- that begs the question, is it really an entity and is it really in some other world? Uh, I mean, uh, from the point of view that we have, I think the entity could be communicating from another uh, parallel reality. Uh, my next book that's coming out later this year um, from Schiffer Books, it's, it's uh, Dancing Past the Graveyard, Poltergeist, Parasites, Parallel Worlds, and God. Um, there are a number of cases I have never written about before. I have talked about some of them on the air. But uh, I didn't need... EVPs, and there were sort of long conversations while in a meditative state with people who, whom other people thought were ghosts but were not, in, in my interpretation. And, uh, you can, you'll have to wait for the book for some of those. But, um, they were in a par- in parallel worlds. One, and I'm thinking of, uh, this is at Augensburg State Hospital in 1973. I was, um, in a meditative state there, and I was supposed to be doing pastoral visits as a seminary student. I was studying for the priesthood at the time. And uh, there was a supposedly haunted hallway, 
and uh, everybody's and there was a, a a medium who was one of the patients and uh, the state hospital the, the, this was not a psychiatric ward there were indigent patients who were just simply taking care of for medical reasons not necessarily psychiatric patients wait so, a medium as in a psychic medium psychic medium yeah so she said okay. and she said there was a man waiting in the hallway to because his wife was was going to die and he was going to take her home now take her being into the light or whatever they think it is so, uh, you know, but being uh, skeptical, and this got me in trouble in the seminary, I was always questioning everything. Um, I said, yeah, yeah, that's not good enough. I want to find out what this is. So just on a hunch, I kind of went to this little chapel in this hallway, or more like a room that was supposed to be a chapel, got into a meditative state, and ended up in a, in a uh, off and on for three days running a conversation with a man who was waiting for his wife, uh, but he was, and he, his English was very strange. It was, the word order was odd. And he was waiting, all right, but he was waiting in the railroad station across the St. Lawrence River in Prescott, Ontario, for his wife to come back from Montreal. He was going to pick her up. So, I mean, at least she was like a quarter, right? Yeah, I mean, but but that would be the interpretation. You know, if you're getting the impression of someone waiting and, and, and everything seems spooky or odd, which it will if, if the electromagnetic fields are, are wrong or right, depending on your point of view, you, you know, what else could it be but some dead person? And uh, making my way through this conversation, uh, and again, this is all on this new book. Uh, I, I just realized that gee, she just totally. If if I if I'm right, if I wasn't being fooled, then she totally, in her with her good heart and good intentions, totally misinterpreted everything. Mm. So I suppose you could call that EVPs, but it wasn't recorded. I think it's. I think it's just. It's interesting. It's an interesting question because that would that would lead to, um, you know, trying to understand contexts of, of words and phrases. Or um, I, I wish, I partially wish that we messed with it more. I know that Donna in Connecticut, in her Connecticut case, sure, she did. She she puts out a recorder every now and then. And told us some some things that she picked up, and I remember one of them very specifically that she left her recorder um, by the uh, by the door to her kitchen. Um, came from the porch to the kitchen, and there was like sort of a heavy breathing that was that was going on into it, and it sounded almost like an animal, like like uh, yeah. like, like uh, an animal kind of well, like they hear horses in the hallway into it. That house. No, but it went on for a while, yeah. like, and then it finally said something like it, it like a, like it, it started speaking, and it like didn't quite sound human, almost. Mm-hmm. It, it sounded like it was saying something like. Uh, like go or whatever. Yes, I remember that. Yeah. I think maybe referring to one of the dachshunds that was wandering around the house. Yeah, they um, but I, but I, I, I couldn't tell you. But I thought that was really interesting because nine times out of ten, you know, most EVPs are like, "This is my house," or yeah. answering just basic, "Are you a ghost? Yes or no." <laughs> Like that kind of Are thing. Are you a god? Yeah, but yes. <laughs> yes. Like if someone asks you if you're a god, you, you say, say yes. yes. Um, so, I mean, that kind of leads into the next question, which is, do you give any validity to the EVP supposedly recorded Civil War battlefields? Well, uh, I've been to, well, you, we've both been to the Gettysburg battlefield, which is uh, supposedly goes centrally, and, and it's a place that, that just commands respect and awe at least to me it's not just because i'm interested in history the uh, what happened there i mean it's funny we you we had ancestors or at least collateral relatives you did on both sides of the wall during pickett's charge because your your mother 
you know, your grandfather came from South Carolina, mm. where they were Confederate uh, ancestors, and then I'm an old Connecticut Yankee, so you had the Yankee ancestors. <laughs> so, so I mean, it really was. Um, you, I think we need to go back there now that you're older, but um, that's a place where people obtain lots of EVPs, and not only that, they see soldiers, uh, whether in full form or uh, tra- in, uh, translucent or, or transparent, whatever, um, marching around, all sorts of uh, reports every year. And, of course, the, the uh, ghost hunter types have big meetings there and all sorts of things, and uh, the Gettysburg Battlefield, <clears throat> which I, I think maybe at times will um, push the boundaries of respect. Mm. Uh, I don't know. But uh, it's um, I think there's something to it because whenever you have terrible trauma and, and, and this would be the origin of, of the the belief that you know when there's a murder you're going to have a ghost or whether a suicide or something like this which is not always the case but where you have tremendous trauma especially with a huge battle and that was not the bloodiest battle of the battle of the civil war antietam was but it was close to it uh, for three days in july of 1863 and you would have th- this tremendous pain and emotion you know, blasting out across the multiverse. <coughs> Excuse me. Where, uh, if th- this theory is correct, that all time is simultaneous. So that would really explain why you would get snatches of conversation or uh, words from what to us is the past, because it is not behind us, it is next to us mm. all the time. All moments, past and future, are simultaneous, according to this theory of quantum mechanics, which we see played out. So that would explain why you'd get, you could get EVPs because electromagnetics involved. So yeah, I think there's a lot to it. I think we misinterpret it. Uh, again, these are not dead people. You, how can you die in a multiverse where we are living so many parallel lives? And, th- and this kind of gets back to the idea of the flashing nexus that we might not have a chance to talk about today. Yeah. Uh, so I mean, it's um, it's a matter of our own basic understanding more than it is dead people Mm -hmm. i I think we're we're dealing with live real live people which is why uh i was on the air one time the the only time i was ever around with the the famous uh, jason hawes and uh we were talking about this theory and he says funny that i describe it this way with the multiverse because they were in one case in a hotel and the so-called ghost kept asking them are you from security (laughs) (laughs) you know and that didn't quite square with, with their, their, you know, more traditional, classical, spiritualist belief system, which may be correct. Maybe we're wrong. I don't know. Mm. So, but it does seem to pan out as far as EVPs, uh, electronic voice phenomena, you could get people who are just right next to you. And in the case of the guy in Prescott, Ontario, 1973, in worlds where the laws of physics are such that they consider it entirely normal to talk to, he called us neighbors. He said they routinely talk to neighbors, presumably from parallel worlds. Mm. And the fact, I said, you know, I, I'm, I'm across the river in Augsburg, New York, uh, and it was essentially a different world. That meant that didn't face him in the slightest. He, that was entirely normal. So presumably he was uh, standing by himself on the railroad platform. There actually was a railroad station in Prescott that I took to Montreal a, a lot in those days. And uh, just sort of chattering to the to the air, and nobody thought anything of it because he was talking to me in a different time, and if, if whatever time means, in a different uh, different world, hmm. parallel world. So I mean, that if that that's what it was, and it was the first time I'd ever experienced things like that. And it, I, I stayed in, I didn't go to class for like two days. They came to see if I was sick because I was so 
I, I don't know, jarred, shocked by this because uh, it shattered my belief system. Yeah. It was supposed to be dead people. So since then, I realized that maybe there's more to it. So anyway, so uh, is that it for the questions? Uh, from yep. Peter, thank you for the excellent questions you send. Uh, please keep doing it. It's, it's really great. You're a tribute to the intelligence of our listenership. Okay. All right. So this um, flashing nexus idea is really strange. The, um, I'm thinking of uh, the first time I ever experienced anything like this, and uh, it, it, they seem, it seems to be very sporadic. It doesn't seem to be common. Or maybe people, people just don't know what to do with it. Uh, that, that's my experience. So this is uh, August 22nd, 1972, uh, way back. And uh, I was uh, just getting into the paranormal field. I'd been involved for about two years. And my friend David from uh, East Hartford, Connecticut, my hometown, called. And his father, Stan, uh, had been uh, on the operating table having open-heart surgery, which is, uh, especially in those days, was not a pleasant experience and was extremely complicated. Uh, at, at several points, uh, he, he didn't tell his son what this was about. He just wanted to talk to me because he knew I was in the seminary and he, th- he thought it might have a religious context. And I guess I was the closest uh, friend they had who was, uh, you know, sort of studying theology. So he said that at several points during and after the, the operation, uh, Stan said he had experienced some very odd and frightening shifts of consciousness in ways that kind of gave new depth to the term as far as I had understood it. Uh, and he said, um, and from my notes, uh, he said, before they even put me under, it started. The best way I can put it was that all of a sudden I, I was one of the, prep, the pre-op nurses. It only lasted three or four seconds. He was completely terrified, and I was confused because I didn't know anything about the multiverse then, and uh, the best I could figure was this is some kind of out-of-the-body experience. And I asked him, did you go out of your own body and into hers? And he said, no, he didn't feel like that at all. Um, he said that it, it was, he was, at no point did he... Uh, some that did he feel that he was leaving his body and you know this is a common thing you hear more or less uh, on the operating table people are floating above the table looking down at their bodies and all and uh, that was not the case with this he said it was it was it was different from that uh now the funny thing was that, that he wasn't entirely under during some of the operation but that can be disconcerting uh between periods of unconsciousness during the procedure uh, stan said he experienced the same kind of consciousness shift uh, he was the chief surgeon for a few seconds. At another point, Stan said that he was a male passerby in the hallway. And when he woke up in the recovery room, he said, it wasn't me. Uh, he was driving a car on the street outside. Uh, that lasted, he said, for maybe six seconds. He wasn't quite sure. But he said it felt like hours, which is, and I get that a lot from these people who experience this. Now, I'm, I was trying to think back, okay, but it wasn't, and out-of-the-body experience, uh, there's a thing called anesthesia awareness or unintended intraoperative awareness. But the experience began before Stan was anesthetized, according to him. Uh, the only other thing I could think of at the time was, uh, of course, as I said, besides the EVP, uh, were certain psychological conditions. There, there is a thing called the illusory identity construct, uh, or perhaps some kind of version of associative uh, disso- dissociative identity disorder, or otherwise known as multiple personalities. But none of these things really seem to fit. And uh, today, uh, looking back on it, I think Stan's experience, uh, and most, if not all, 
uh, of the um, uh, experiences of this kind uh, are experiences of parallel lives we're living at the in the simultaneous past, present, and future of the multiverse we just talked about. So how many lives are we living in the multiverse? Well, I suppose it depends on the person. I mean, uh, you know, presumably, if this theory is correct, there are many worlds in which you were never born. <clears throat> there, are, there are many worlds in which you have not been born yet or have died 30,000 years ago. All things that are possible are out there at some point in the multiverse. And the theology of this is very interesting because people are always griping, oh, God, let this happen, God, let... Well, well maybe <laughs> all things that uh, <clears throat> are possible are going on. Maybe it is a great, elegant creation uh, where it is essentially perfect because it's in perfect balance. We ju- we are just not aware of it, or we're not to the point in our evolution where we're aware of it, or we just don't want to be aware of it. So I don't know. That, that's all for speculation for a different show. But the whole idea of the um, uh, flashing nexus uh, is is has drawn a lot of interest since we've been mentioning it, and there is a chapter in the next book about it. One of the other strange, <coughs> very strange ones was um, Peggy in Ontario, Canada, and th- this was in the 70s as well, uh, she said she would, and this had nothing to do with anybody being on an operating table. She said she would um, change consciousness while meditating. All right, and she said she also had out of the body experiences from since she was a child, but it was very, very different from this flashing nexus experience. And the term flashing nexus, we we invented it. Uh, the nexus being presumably the core consciousness of all the lives you're living in the in the multiverse, and the flashing being the flashing from one to the other. So the implication is that in Stan's case, uh, in in some. Uh, parallel universe or other or, or maybe a bunch of them he was the chi- or i should say is the chief surgeon what what past tense has no meaning since there is no past uh but in the case of um, the woman in ottawa she was um meditating and and she would uh it was just a trying to relax but she she was consciousness would shift to uh, uh not just other people but to consciousnesses that, that she she was sure were not human, and we're not necessarily. If you want to say alien, that seems to be part of it too, because the the multiverse presumably is indiscriminate, uh, and we share lives with all life in the multiverse, which would include what we think of as alien life, presumably. Uh, <clears throat> one manifestation of the flashing nexus might be under our own noses. Uh, countless people report being welcomed to their next world by loved ones who have, quote, gone on before. The whole tunnel syndrome, you know, not everybody reports this, but people who have near-death experiences, as opposed to out-of-the-body experiences, will very often report being uh, received uh, in this light by religious figures uh, or by someone they don't know, but most often it's it's loved ones, uh, relatives. And I have heard several cases where they were being received by people who had not died yet in their experience, which I find very interesting, and maybe an arrow in in the quiver of our idea that we've got uh, uh, multiple worlds going on here that are parallel. (coughs) So, uh, (coughs) excuse me. So um, there we have that. Uh, one of the strangest ones, uh, and this will be the last case I'll talk about on the show, uh, of the flashing nexus, was in uh, a uh, Heightstown, New Jersey, in October 1999. Now, I walked in there, and there was a lovely couple who had just bought a, a condominium. They were really, you know, very snazzy. They were really crazy about it. And they had a movie room in there, 
But every time the girl would go into the movie room and sit down, uh, strange things would happen regarding kind of the flashing nexus. And instead of being just other people, uh, her name was Meg, she sometimes had the, the consciousness of animals, including a neighbor's cat, she said. She said it was so bizarre. And I said, well, why do you keep going in there and sitting down and doing that? She said, because it was, it was shocking. She wasn't really frightened of it. It was, it was fascinating, but she just didn't understand what kind of phenomenon this could be. <clears throat> and uh, the guy was, was just, he didn't know what to do either. So I said, look, so I went into the movie room, and I, I sat down, and it didn't happen to me. I, I've never had this happen that I can remember. Uh, but it, it was a very strange atmosphere in there. There was a lot of energy and uh, presumably a, a multiple world intersect point that she was uh, ultra sensitive to, and, and this, this is probably why it happened. So the solution to this was I said, J- just move the movie room. The room wasn't very big, so they made it into a walk-in closet. And as I kept, in t- I was keeping touch with people after these cases. They said uh, they they finally got to watch movies, but they did it in their living room, like most other people do. And this never happened again, because she didn't go in there to sit down again either. So anyway, uh, it's a very odd phenomenon. It's not common, uh, but it's it's really um, really very strange, and uh, again, maybe a clue to the nature of of reality. So uh, Ben, what do you think of that? I think a lot of things, but we also have a caller. Oh, okay. Um, I have to ask my son if he's ever had an experience of that kind. Uh, so um, we can uh, begin to <clears throat> move on to um, uh, some information from our good friend Lon Strickler uh, from the wonderful website phantomsandmonsters.com. And we urge you to check that out. And there's a donation site. He, he does tremendous work uh, gathering uh, information on very, very strange cases. And uh, he, you know, if you have a few bucks, uh, you know, there's a donate button on that site. And uh, make sure you check it out. Okay. Uh, and now, okay, we have, <coughs> excuse me, welcome to uh, WON and Behind the Paranormal. Hi. Thank you for having me. Okay. Is this, for, is this Valerie? Yes, it is. Okay. Very good. So uh, we're very excited about an event going on in April here in Rhode Island, and uh, why don't you tell us about it, Valerie? Right, it's called uh, X Files United uh, X Files United uh, Convention for 2019. Uh, hopefully, there'll be many more. It's at the Crown Plaza in Warwick, Rhode Island, and it's uh, April uh, Friday, April 26th, Saturday the 27th, and April the 28th uh, on our website is the list of our presenters. We have many, many speakers from throughout the country, and they the caliber awesome. If you have any interest in the paranormal, in uh, aliens, abduction, um, conspiracy, we're the convention for you. Valerie, uh, are you near a radio yeah. by any chance? No, I'm not. Oh, that's weird. I wonder why that's happening. Yeah, we're getting a little. Uh, we're getting quite a bit of feedback actually. Feedback here. Uh, who's on our other line? Is that uh, is that Jamie? That is Jamie. Oh, okay, Jamie. Very oh, no. good. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Are you near a radio by any chance? <laughs> no, no, I am not. Okay. Well, Jamie is uh, the, one of the co-organizers here of this event, and uh, there'll be a lot of, of people that they'll be uh, w- will be there uh, on Saturday. It's we're kind of tied up with other things that weekend so we'll be there off and on uh, but certainly Saturday we'll be speaking and uh, also uh, a lot of the headliners you've seen uh, you've heard on our show Shane Searway uh, Alexander Petikoff Tom Reed and others will be there and it's, it sounds like a really great event uh, now could you give us uh, again the uh, the times uh, and the, and uh, the, it's at the Crown Plaza right right and it starts it starts at uh, uh, 
a pre uh, people who have pre registered start it starts at eight o'clock in the morning, Friday morning, and then registration is at nine. Okay. And it goes through until about eleven o'clock at night on Friday. The same time for Saturday and on Sunday it ends at five PM. Okay. Very good. Well, we'd encourage everyone to go to the website to get tickets. And uh, just give us a website one more time. Yes, x-filersunited.com. Okay. And we'll be, we have a, a link to that on our website as well, and we'll be promoting that on the show. Well, we'll hear from you again during our open line shows in March, and you can remind people once again. Okay, great. Thank okay. you. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thanks, guys. Okay. Bye-bye. All right, uh, so that's going to be a very interesting event. It's nice for us because we won't have to drive 300 miles for a change, you know, because uh, we, we're in Rhode Island. So Exactly. Yeah. Uh, so uh, as we were saying, Lon Strickler, uh, please um, help him out there. He's a wonderful fellow, and he also has a, uh, a uh, radio show um, as well, which we'll tell you about in a bit. But uh, this, anyway, uh, by way of Lon, is a report from Bill in Madisonville, Tennessee, as heard in a um, call to the uh, Ground Zero, the great radio show with Clyde Lewis. We've been on it a bunch of times. And um, he, I think he has one of the best radio voices. Too. So um, here is the report. Bill reported driving up to a friend's house, then sitting in a car waiting for the friend to get home. And then, quote, all these balls of light that I call orbs were coming out of everything, uh, like fireflies, but smaller than baseballs. Uh, then they were coming up to the sides of the windows uh, of the car, that is, and everything, and, and they were on the side of the window, and it was actually like you could reach out and touch one. Bill's companion wanted to leave. Ben, you want to continue with this? Or you... Sure. Okay, uh, right there. Alrighty, Bill so said. Bill's companion wanted to leave. Bill said, "Hold on a mo- hold on a minute. I gotta see this." So I watched to make sure they weren't uh, just regular lights, uh, and they were going in in behind trees, coming out from behind trees, and coming coming around and everything. Uh, they they'd flare around. Uh, my friend was really panicking. I said, "I'm not leaving until you tell me what you see," because I was kind of skeptical myself. Um, I don't I don't scare very easily. He said, uh, there's balls of light around here, you know. Uh, we've got to leave right now. And I, I still refuse to leave. Well, after maybe 15 seconds elapsed, uh, there was this thing that flew up, and I guess, for lack of a better terms, ghostly-looking thing with a wingspan possibly five or six feet across, uh, a, a very short neck and the head of an owl. Um, it, was, it was just a white thing, uh, but still just as bright as the orbs. That's what my friend told me after, uh, that it was a gargle hill. Uh, it landed uh, in a tree and tucked its wings and looked at us. I came back later and told my friend about it, and he just laughed. And he said, you know what? You're the second person in the past 20 years that has seen that. <laughs> there you go. Interesting. Okay, we're just about out of time for the questions, but uh, fascinating stuff. You know, owls made of light. And, of course, one wonders about uh, the owl man of Cornwall, England, and these sorts of things, and... and uh, seeing um, things that, and balls of light, which we think could be living things. So uh, no more time to talk about it today. We'll uh, we'll move on, and uh, we'll be able to come up on our open lines on March 10th. Indeed. So, Ben, uh, what do we got for announcements here? Well, we've got plenty. Uh, so let us start off with uh, any strange friends or relatives whose tastes run to the weird and unexplained. You can try giving autographed copies of our books. Uh, our latest titles include Behind the Paranormal, Everything You Know is Wrong, and Behind the Paranormal 2, Bigfoot, Mothman, and Monsters You Never Heard of. Uh, they are available from online retailers and in some stores, but autographed copies you can uh, 
get from our uh, online bookstore at behindtheparanormal.com. And uh, that you know Valentine's Day is coming up, and uh, if you <laughs> if your significant other tends to be on a little on a little strange and and uh, on the other side of the fence, there you can toss him a copy of one of our books. Yep, over, over the shark. Okay. <laughs> Uh, this coming Saturday, February 16th, uh, we'll be at the um, 4th Annual Book Lovers Author Expo at the Cumberland Public Library in Rhode Island. Uh, there will be other southeastern New England authors of both fiction and nonfiction, and we will not make a presentation, but we will meet and greet and sign books. Information is at cumberlandlibrary.org. Alrighty, and on April 23rd at 1 p.m., we'll be back at the Town and Prospect Senior Center in Connecticut uh, for a presentation, and uh, we'll keep you posted as details develop. And uh, next, after, after that, we have what the inf- the um, event that um, we just talked about with our callers, uh, Valerie and Jamie, uh, who are the organizers. That's going to be the X-Filers United 2019 Convention, April 26th through 28th at the Crown Plaza Hotel in Warwick. And again, a lot of great people will they- be there, uh, people you've heard on the show, Mike Stevens. Uh, the uh, crypto kid from Ohio, Colin Schneider, who is brilliant. Uh, scholar for his age, I think he's 16, uh, of uh, cryptids, and mm. he's been on the show before too. So um, go to, um, again, x-filersunited.com, check it out. It's going to be a great, uh, great experience. Now, events later this year will include appearances at the Nashua, New Hampshire Public Library in August, along with the Exeter UFO Festival and the Greater New England UFO Conference, uh, where we have been for years on end and we just love them uh at some point this fall there will be a release party for this new book that i was talking about so check uh, check that out and we'll let you know as we go and uh we also have a third book in the works uh that uh, we're writing together and this one will be on the subject of ufos beyond the assumptions and you can check out our show website behindtheparanormal.com where you can find out more about the show or many cases over the years our public appearances and you'll find over 800 free recorded shows from our 10 plus hours on the air or 10 plus hours 10 year 10 plus years on the air but it, it has been more than 10 hours so yes, we can, we can say that um including our four and a half year run on cbs radio along with special shows and podcasts so what do we have next week then so next week we have have uh, on February 17th here on WOON 1240 AM and 99.3 FM, uh, UFOs in uh, Maine Under Siege with broadcaster, filmmaker, and researcher Nomar Slevik. And we leave you this afternoon with a quote from the great American astronomer, cosmologist, astrophysicist, astrobiologist, and author Carl Sagan. Absence of evidence is not evidence of absence. I'm Paul Eno. And I'm Ben Eno, and thanks for joining us on our great cosmic journey, and we shall see you behind the paranormal. Return to this radio frequency 167 hours from now for another edition of Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno.